Hi, hello everybody. Uh, welcome to another episode of Zero. Uh, very excited to have George Roder on today. Uh, we spoke at length about his role at the Canada Plastics Pact, discussing how we can take a systems view to enacting change and bringing across, uh, bringing together a circular economy in the plastic space, how that can be translated to other sectors, and what it takes to really engage with so many different stakeholders when you're dealing with government, uh, local organizations, uh, different levels of companies, and uh, how we can be motivated to work uh, on enacting change just from a personal level and then also at a community-based level. George is the Managing Director of Canada Plastic Pack. It boasts over 80 members and signatories uh, from all across Canada. Uh, he brings a leadership, organizational design, and social, social change skills to establishing and growing this newly formed initiative in Canada. He began his career co-founding and serving as the CEO of Engineers Without Borders Canada, a leading innovation advocacy and skills development NGO. Uh, and grew to grew the organization to into thousands of people to try to uh, eliminate poverty. So it was a great conversation. Uh, I learned a lot, and I hope you will too. I was just really impressed by the work that uh, you're doing at the Canadian Plastics Pact and the focus on um, really trying to address the entire value chain in the whole plastics space uh, with the focus in Canada. I was just wondering as a start, can you just explain what that plastics pact uh, or what the plastics value chain entails? Because I think it's more than what people realize. Yeah, for sure. So when you look at plastics and in particular plastics packaging, you know, it has a really range of different companies and organizations touching it at, through its life uh, cycle. So if you go way, uh, what we call upstream, all the way to the production of hydrocarbons that are coming largely from oil and gas companies, uh, those then go into uh, generally chemical companies who are resin producers who produce actual plastic from that, um, stringing together uh, various different uh, um, what, what are called monomers and they, those produce plastics. And then those goes to what are called converters or manufacturers of, in, in our case, what we're focused on plastics packaging. And then of course that goes to all the brands we know and love that, uh, that put stuff in those, those plastics packaging and then off to the retailers, put it on their shelves. It goes home, you use it at home and you dispose of it in some way, either to recycling or, to the garbage and that goes to a waste management company. Often uh, cities are involved with those and in, in helping to coordinate those services, um, depending on where you live, obviously. And, uh, and then from a waste management company, it goes to a sorting facility. And from a sorting facility, uh, it will go off to what are called reclaimers or recyclers. Uh, if ideally it's going into a circular uh, uh, type of pathway and, uh, and then those folks kind of chop, chop up the plastic generally, or, you know, in some cases in certain processes, chop up the molecules again and uh, bring them back to the front end of that um, and either melt them down or reconstitute them into plastic. And they, they start their life again as, as new plastics packaging. And, you know, that's where we want to be. We want to be at that full cycle and full circle. Um, 
largely where we are today is that uh, it goes to the waste management companies and then off to a landfill or uh, incineration or uh, what's known in the industry as waste energy. And it's so many steps that you just described and uh, plastics take up such a huge role in our daily lives. They're, they're really ubiquitous. How does the uh, Canada Plastics Pact fit into that whole value chain? Because there are so many steps um, and how do you situate yourselves in that ecosystem? Yeah, so really what we see as our role in the Canada Plastics Pact as bringing together members who are all across that value chain and then adding to that even others who are interested in an outcome of uh, a world without plastic waste or you know, another way to put it is getting to a fully circular economy for plastics packaging where the where what comes at the end of life becomes inputs to the next cycle. And um, and we add some players to that mix. So you can think of NGOs or research institutions or governments or what have you. And really our goal with the Canada Plastics Pact is to be the platform that brings all of those folks together, all of those different businesses and organizations and academics and governments and NGOs all at the same table to say, okay, if we have this ambitious goal, which it is ambitious of getting to the point where we're not producing plastic waste, what are the challenges that are preventing us from getting there? And how can we be clear-eyed about those challenges and work on real solutions together, in particular in places where it requires uh, collaboration and, uh, and, and efforts from more than one part of the value chain? In terms of those challenges, it does seem like a big challenge because we're, I mean, you probably know better than I do, but we're throwing away ungodly amounts of plastic every day. And it's a very linear system. You're extracting oil in uh, one part of the world and refining it, preparing it, transporting it, used often in often cases for seconds or minutes at a time, and then it gets thrown away in a different spot. So obviously that's a big challenge and there's so many different types of plastics are there key objectives that you have personally or as an organization to try to address that? Or do you break it down by different plastic types? What's your philosophy? Yeah, so oftentimes what we're doing is we're saying, all right, um, how do we actually understand this problem at a really granular level? And the challenges at every step in, in the process and also how those different steps in the process are linked to one another. So let me give a really tangible example of this. So if you go to the supermarket right now and you look on the shelves, if you're living in Canada or the United States, what you'll see is on the shelves, uh, a lot of packages are moving from what are called rigid materials uh, to flexible materials. So you'll see those basically plastic bags with the zipper top. Um, you'll see those as becoming much more uh, regular. And those are responses are actually a really interesting and innovative packaging material in the sense that if you think about going from, let's say it was either in a glass uh, rigid bottle or a, um, or maybe it was a plastic rigid bottle, um, right from kind of the start, if you were to transport those rigid materials, you can imagine how much more space that is, how much more material that is than these uh, plastic pouches that you kind of just pack flat and, and you know, literally you can transport them much more easily. So you're reducing carbon emissions, uh, they're lighter weight, so you're actually using less plastic. So in many ways, those uh, 
flexible materials that sit on the supermarket shelves that we get our stuff in are great. The challenge is they're extremely difficult to recycle um, for a bunch of different reasons. They're uh, because they're lighter, they, they float around. Um, many uh, systems don't actually accept them. Many of the designs of that packaging are require uh, different layers of material. So it's actually, it looks like one piece of plastic, but there's multiple layers and some of those layers are made of different materials. So it's actually difficult to peel them apart or in some cases impossible. And so, um, so when you look at a challenge like that, that's a challenge that the whole system needs to look at and say, we're gonna try and tackle this together. So it's everything from, let's say changing the design up front to having one material in it instead of multiple materials uh, in, in, these, in these pouches. Um, it's uh, then going and saying, all right, let's make sure our curbside recycling systems actually accept these flexible pouches. Uh, let's make sure that our um, sorting facilities have the technology that's able to actually sort out and grab these things uh, and put them into their uh, own stream where you can uh, then actually recycle them. And let's make sure that we have recyclers and, and people who are interested in that material at the end of its life once recyclers produce uh, flakes or, or, or various materials to sell, that, that those are going to be used to put into a new product. And so every single one of those steps that I just described is a collective challenge. So if one company decides to change the design to a single material, that's not going to work because it's not going to get supplied by the market and it's difficult to find uh, that, uh, that's, that package that's a single material in the sorting facility. Um, so it actually requires all companies to do it all at the same time. And so that requires collaboration and agreement on design. Um, similar type of thing if you're looking at, you know, uh, municipalities or, uh, or various collection systems actually accepting these types of materials. So there's, there's a variety of different real challenges that exist kind of when you look at, um, when you look at something like that. And so what really we're setting up to do is saying, okay, you know, either it's a particular material or it's a format or it's a system challenge. Let's look at those particular barriers and say, okay, what are some solution paths and how do we now collaboratively work together on them? I'm now thinking of the, of the lentils or rice packages that I go from my grocery store that are exactly what you're just saying. There's these flexible, slightly transparent uh, packages that are great. You open them up, put them in the, you know, put the food into the, the sauce uh, pan and ready to go. But then when you throw them in the trash, not only are they hard to recycle, they're also covered in food. So <laughs> it makes it challenging. I want to speak a little bit about the responsibility, because obviously some of these are systemic challenges, each with so many moving parts and there's manufacturers, there's consumers, there's recyclers, there's repurposing entities. Is there one group of individuals or companies that is responsible? Uh, is, that, is, that, is that shared? How, how do we think about that? Yeah, so I would say that um, saying that there's a single set of companies or individuals who, sh who shoulder the responsibility is probably a oversimplification of the challenge. The reality is um, we have a food system, we have a product system 
that uh, is built on, you know, the basically is embedded into how our economy works. And, uh, and that very basis of our economy is, is really a construct of uh, a lot of years of evolution on, on actually building um, the way that we produce and consume things. And so all along that line, everything from those who kind of make, uh, make products to you know, ultimately manage them at the end of life and make the packaging, they're all sort of involved in this. And as are we, everyday citizens, who say, yeah, actually, you know what? I want something a bit more convenient. I want my lentils in a little package uh, that I can kind of open up and, and cook easily rather than um, you know, the way I used to buy lentils, which was buying them and they're dry and then I have to wash them and soak them for six hours and whatever. And so we all sort of have a role in the current system that we have today. And I think that um, what that results in at the end of the day is also all needing a role in transitioning to a very different state. And I won't, you know, I, I won't uh, lie that the, um, or sort of try to kind of mischaracterize this. This transition is a massive transition. It's fundamental economic shift and, and structural shift in how we produce and consume things to go to a circular economy. Right now, our system is very much built on, we pick it up and, uh, and at the end of life, we get rid of it. And everything in the system is built on that. All the logistics are built on that. The economics are built on that. You know, how, uh, how you know, waste management is, works. It's all built on that. And so this m big transition to a circular economy where we're reusing these materials and not producing waste um, is, uh, is a significant shift. And, and it really requires everybody's involvement uh, in that. Now, that said, like, I mean, you and I don't have as much power as individuals to change that, you know, ourselves. So we can make important choices at home. And I think that's great. Um, I do really believe that some of these larger companies that are part of the Canada Plastics Pact uh, and other similar efforts like this have really big levers to pull, right? If they say, listen, uh, we are going to get rid of this particular type of plastic because we can't recycle it. For example, PVC uh, plastics packaging, um, it's hard to recycle, it's toxic, it's difficult in the system. They can together collectively make that disappear in a way that you and I as citizens are not gonna be able to do. And, uh, and that's ultimately good for the world. So I think there is a, an, probably an extra uh, responsibility on some of these larger companies that can shift and move the market towards that transition a lot faster. In terms of this transition, obviously it's a, it's a monumental effort to rethink this whole systems approach. What role do you see plastics having in this, let's say we have a fully circular economy, we've achieved this goal. What role in place does, do plastics have in that? Uh, because obviously they provide a, a lot of utility, but they're in how most of them are being dispose that right now is, is not as a net negative, right? It's, it's a detriment to, to the environment, to society. So how do you find that balance? Yeah, I think, you know, I think, first of all, we need to remind ourselves there's a reason we started using plastics in the first place, right? Um, so we can say, listen, you know, we want to see less plastic and more glass. Um, 
but that type of a choice sort of moving from glass to plastic was one that was uh, clear, clear eyed on a few dimensions, energy use, uh, resource use, um, and, uh, costs, transportation, all of these various different things. So in all of these transitions where we're using different materials, I think what we need to do is be kind of really uh, scientific about saying, all right, what does substituting one for another actually look like? And, and what do those, some of those, uh, pathways, um, result in, in terms of their net impact on the earth? And so, yes, uh, I think there's absolutely still a role for plastics as part of that mix. Um, and in some cases, they probably aren't as appropriate. What I would also say, and there's probably an even more fundamental um, question here, which is what are some of the behaviors and expectations that probably need a shift over time? Um, and, uh, and how do we help people get there? So an example would be um, on reusing packaging. Right now, most of the packaging that we use is not uh, uh, is single use, right? We buy it, we get rid of it, um, throw it out, you know. And uh, if we go back in in time, that was not always the case. You think the classic example is, you know, the the milk delivery person, right? Who dropped off your milk bottles, you put them on the step, they got you know picked up, they got refilled. You know, beer bottles are very much that that way in in Canada. Um, and there's lots of examples there of the ability to reuse packaging more. And that is a massive reduction. Every time you do that is a massive reduction in the amount of energy and in the amount of packaging that's used. And so increasingly, I think having some more of those expectations where it's not just kind of one and done, but where we're actually uh, reusing material and saying like, this is valuable. We ought to be like actually using this again and again and again, I think has got to be part of, um, uh, part of the answer. And then finally, I'll say, you know, there's some, there's some packaging that we probably don't need and, uh, and probably shouldn't have. And, and I think that that's probably also got to be part of this transition is saying, you know, at times, um, we have things packaged up in a way that is either uh, because it makes it look better or because it's uh, um, because it's something that we expect for either you know health reasons or what have you, but that's not actually always the best decision for the ultimate environmental footprint and impact that we want at the end of the day. Do or are you finding that a lot of these actual manufacturers or, or people that are producing these packages, how much are they aware be of the impact of their materials beyond cost savings of transport, flexibility of shipping, logistics? Are they thinking about end of end of life? Um, I guess one example is one of the, uh, I guess, I think Tide dyes their plastics orange, which lowers the value of the recyclability. And if they just kept it clear, it would be so much more recyclable, it would be easier to handle. But what, but you know, one marketing ploy harms that. So are design, are they interested in learning about these things? Are they even open to it? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I would say, um, drawing a broad brush over every company is, uh, is hard. And there's really, first of all, a range of companies and there's, um, 
uh, definitely a range of their journeys on on the line to kind of thinking more about circularity and incorporating that into their business models. You know, obviously every, you know, probably most people listening to this podcast have, would know about Patagonia and the stories that are there and the kind of deep-seated um, environmental and sustainability focus that they have that's fundamental and has been part of their business model uh, from day one. Um, and, you know, let's say that is kind of getting closer to the gold standard. You can kind of work back from there on a continuum where different companies are. But I think what's even more interesting than that is when you dive into a company, it's realizing that companies to put a product on the market have a lot of different moving parts. So you have the marketing department who is optimizing for a certain set of uh, outcomes. And you have the finance group that's optimizing for optimizing for a certain set of outcomes, and you have the operations folks who are actually making the product and are optimizing for a certain set of outcomes. Um, and then often you have the sustainability team or, or uh, government relations. Again, they're optimizing for a certain set of outcomes. So one of the things that I'm really seeing is that oftentimes you'll have one part of a company out front of the rest. And, uh, and they'll sort of have fully internalized that we need to be making this transition. We need to be moving to more circular. I need to be thinking about my supply chain as not ending when something gets delivered to a customer, but actually the full circle. And they'll have internalized that. And then the challenge becomes for them, which is an interesting challenge, almost a corporate internal change effort on saying, okay, how do we collectively now shift our mindset? Um, so that when, let's say I'm a, uh, I'm a brand and, and I have a buyer there who buys some of the packaging, that the buyers are not just asking about price and availability, but they're also asking about uh, various different sustainability characteristics. Uh, let's say the type of uh, resin it is and how recyclable it is, or um, whether or not it has uh, recycled content, uh, previously used plastics material in that packaging and, and various other sort of characteristics. And so that kind of training sort of, and it's not even training, it's sort of mindset shifts is re are really important. And then of course, kind of the big driver behind that are what are the corporate goals? And, uh, and are those real and people being held to them? Um, so that it will drive uh, real change internally, which is really another part of what we're trying to do with the Canada Plastics Pact is create uh, clear targets that are made public that companies are committing to that help drive their own internal alignment for some of these broader changes, um, which need to happen you know, across an entire company. You just mentioned a number of stakeholders within an organization, whether it's marketing, quality assurance, engineering, these are all different groups within one organization. You're responsible for engaging with not only just one organization, but dozens, if not hundreds. You're also engaging with nonprofits, uh, legislators at the state and local level. That is not an easy thing to do. So in terms of your role, how, how do you manage engaging with so many stakeholders with so many interests and viewpoints and perspectives? Yeah, it's um, uh, thanks for recognizing that it's not an easy job. Uh, it is, uh, I'll say a couple of things here. First, um, it's incredibly rich to get these different perspectives. 
And so uh, part of the part of the importance of a role or uh, an organization like the CPP is to say, all right, you know, how do we be curious about bringing these different perspectives? And how, how do we also then engender that same curiosity about those who have decided to join the CPP so that uh, different parts of the value chain are curious about each other's realities? So you have a resin producer curious about what you know, a waste management company is thinking about and a waste management company curious about what a retailer is, a large retailer is thinking about. And so that curiosity um, is really sort of kind of job number one with the CPP and gendering that in a broad way so that you're able to kind of bring those different perspectives. I think the second is very much say, seeing this as um, in our job uh, as our role here is not to understand every aspect of that, but understand enough of it so that we can craft and start to coordinate what a, a complex network and set web of interactions between the various different players. So the, the analogy wouldn't be a hub and a spoke model where everybody kind of talks to me or our staff or what have you, and then we send that information out but instead a much more complicated network model where all the nodes are uh, connected to one another in a really interesting way. And so part of our job is to really increase that interconnectivity in that network in a way that allows information and ideas to flow uh, much more easily. And then the third I think is really, um, you know, if the first is around that curiosity around perspectives, the second is that complex network. I think the third is, how people then show up to those relationships at, at the end as they get crafted and how those are a little bit different. And in particular, how they do so in a way that um, comes with uh, a lot more trust and openness than they're used to. And, you know, and in, in the plastics factor, what's really interesting about this is we have like cutthroat competitors who are at the table with one another talking about this issue. And so how do you go from sort of that reality that business reality of cutthroat competition in markets where the margins are really thin and where everybody's trying to eke out more market share to having an open and honest conversation about the particular challenges around uh, operations. And, and that's the type, of, I think that's the aspect of the challenge that is in some ways really critical to this work around bringing different stakeholders around the table. The cutthroat nature definitely applies to the waste sector as well. And so there've been instances where you have these organizations come together collectively, and it is really inspiring to see that communication, even though from a business perspective, there's obviously that inherent uh, competition. You mentioned interconnectivity and creating this web. I'm wondering how much do you engage with other sectors that aren't related to plastics, whether it's metals or food or some other waste uh, industry where obviously they need to start thinking about a circular economy and is there any sharing of lessons because obviously this curiosity this bringing together can obviously be applied to other sectors is that something that you're involved with in your role um yes for sure and and really i think it's it's great that you pointed this out shane because i think the the really interesting thing is the plastics pact is really just an instantiation of a particular sector or material or area and an instantiation of a transition to a circular economy where the big event is actually a much broader transition of how our system of uh, production and consumption works uh, to have 
circular economy principles be present everywhere in the way that, that our economy works. And so the Canada Plastics Pact is actually part of um, uh, another organization called the Natural Step Canada, which is in close partnership with uh, a research institute called Smart Prosperity Institute. And uh, together, um, we have a variety of different initiatives around circular economy on different types of uh, materials or industries, as you, as you suggested. And what, the way that we really think about it is that, let's say plastics is five years ahead, maybe, of some areas, whether it's food or metals um, uh, or anything else. Let's take what we're learning in this transition. Let's take what we're learning about some of the system changes. Let's take what we're learning about bringing folks together. And let's start to bring those lessons up and then across to other areas. And so uh, the Natural Step Canada has actually other initiatives where we're already starting to think about applying some of these lessons that we're learning in the plastic space. That's fantastic. That's, that's great to hear. One thing that struck me is that you seem to have a very good grasp on, on what excites you in, in a career type role, you, being at the confluence of organizational change, technology, uh, impact, and that you haven't necessarily been in, in the circular economy space for the bulk of your career. I'm just wondering what drew you to this space um, and how does it compare to I think you were at Engineers Without Borders and Poverty Alleviation, and you're working with a, at, a, at, a, at a, a web browser. Um, so I'm just curious how that came about. Yeah, like, I mean, I think you put your finger on it. What draws me to anything in my career is this confluence of those exact three things that you, that you articulated. One is technology. I was trained as an engineer. Uh, now I pretend that I'm an engineer occasionally. Um, uh, the second is, um, is social and systemic level impact and really being able to see that happen and put my energy towards that. And then, uh, and then the third is this, this notion around organizational change and complex organizational dynamics, and in particular, um, often multi-stakeholder organizations coming together in a collaborative fashion. And so those are really the through lines of my career. And so, you know, I initially, as you said, you know, I've, I've been able to apply that to a big challenge around uh, reducing inequities and, and inequality and, uh, and poverty in a global context. Um, you know, I was with Mozilla, which is many people don't know is a nonprofit organization that makes Firefox and really was able to apply that to internet security and, and data uh, uh, privacy and availability and openness. Um, and now sort of it's another challenge in the environmental space. And, and I think what really drew me to this circular economy space and in particular having an impact quite directly or trying to on, on the environment is just the, the time that we're living in right now feels, uh, it feels urgent uh, to be working on this issue uh, and, um, and it feels timely and it feels like those same skills that were developed in those other uh, challenge areas really are applicable in, in this world. And, you know, a brief anecdote, you know, my, uh, I, I have uh, a daughter, uh, she is, she's seven years old and um, we, you know, she's pretty switched on to what's going on in the world. And I think I increasingly realize how uh, crucial these issues are for this next generation because it's on a weekly basis, usually multiple times a week, 
she will get up and she will have this deep anxiety about climate change, about where our world is going to be 10, 20, 30, 50 years from now, uh, and what she's able to um, envisage there. And it's not a, it's not a, it's not a kid level um, concern. It's a, it's a deep, almost um, existential concern. And, uh, and I think I'm seeing that in, in, you know, this, my, my daughter's generation. And I think that uh, the time is now for us to kind of have a bit of an all hands on deck to put all the talents that we can get towards solving these challenges. And, you know, this is one of those, this is sort of maybe a microcosm of that bigger challenge, but I think, uh, I think it's, uh, it's where energy um, should go right now. I couldn't agree more. It is, it is, the time is now, uh, the next eight years are going to be crucial for probably centuries on, on, on what and how we progress as a, as a civilization. And I do identify with that deep anxiety. I think I definitely recall moments as, of, of, uh, as being a child of having that. And I can't imagine the, the younger the generations that are following her, how they're dealing with that. You, you brought up, um, I think in a, one of your, uh, I think a talk that you gave, you, you mentioned the balance of a head versus heart. And you spoke, and I think the way I interpret it is, there's one way you can approach it from like a systemics systems view of like how do we enact change over a country let's say versus how do we enact change for one particular individual and this is how I, I i viewed it and i'm wondering for people listening how can they balance they're, they're obviously let's say they're motivated they want to do something to change and have an impact in this particular space how do they balance that versus doing individual acts of recycling or preventing things from going into the trash versus working with a local organization to affect it at a community or state level? How, how would you recommend them to start out and how to balance that? Yeah, I think, um, listen, the, the reality is on any of these environmental challenges and plastics and dealing with plastic waste and transitioning to a circular economy is no different. It's pretty easy to just get overwhelmed by the scale of what needs to happen and to be able to say, listen, like, you know, what can I do? Um, and, and I do think that there is this dimension of saying, all right, you know, how do I uh, contribute um, in my little way? Uh, and sort of hold in my mind that that's important, but it's probably not enough. Um, and, and yet still believe that it's important and still be motivated on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think that's where some of that heart side comes. It's, you know, it's that belief. It's sort of aligning your values and your day-to-day, your -day, um, which we all kind of try and probably fail in some way in doing, but we still try. And, uh, and then I think on the other side is saying, okay, you know, what is, whether it's the organization or company that I work with or work for, um, if it's the community group that I'm part of uh, or could be part of, it's a neighborhood that I could organize. What is something that's just kind of a little bit bigger than myself? What's a little bit outside of myself that I might be able to uh, think about or ask about? And so in a you know, work context, it might be saying, you know, hey, let me invite in a speaker who can talk to us about uh, circular economy if that's you know, where your company's at on that journey. Um, 
uh, or maybe if they're further down the line, it's saying, all right, actually, I'm going to start to grab some of these resources that are out there on product design, and I'm going to bring them into our company, and, and I'm going to actually bring those into my work. Um, if you are involved in product design or maybe marketing or that type of thing. So I think there's there's something um, that everybody, I think, could do that starts small on this, um, but that operates a little bit outside of your own personal behaviors. And I would say that those two things are not uh, pulling in different directions. They're very complementary. And I think that that's where, um, that's where we kind of need to have that and engage those, those two sides of ourselves, that kind of heart and head. And, and I would say, you know, nothing big in this world gets accomplished without a whole lot of passion behind it and a whole lot of energy behind it. And, uh, and if we think we can just uh, think our way out of it, you know, um, without that passion, I think that that's very unlikely. And so I think we still need to bring that passion and, and those daily values uh, to this challenge, probably uh, because it is so big, we need it, you know, we need a lot of that. Very motivating. I'm just curious, what do you, what do you hope for in the next three to five years uh, from, from your own perspective, from a personal level and then a little bit beyond you level, what would you like to see happen? Yeah, you know, I think these, you mentioned the next eight years being critical. I think these next three to five are critical, um, in fact. Uh, and the reason is because a lot of the decisions that might get made in the next three to five years uh, really will then take another three to five years to actually implement. And so if you think about uh, in our kind of small plastics world, not so small, but smallish plastics world, you know, if you're a company, whether a recycling firm uh, or a, um, you know, let's say you make a, a particular uh, uh, product or, or package or something along those lines, if sometime in the next few months you order a new piece of equipment, it's going to take another year and a half to get there and then you know, another half year to incorporate. And so you're two and a half, two, two and a half years from now, you're just, you're just kind of getting going on that transition. And so really what's crucial is the next, uh, I would say kind of three years on being really clear-minded about where do we need to get to? And for everybody all across that value chain that, I, that we were talking about in the plastics world to say, you know, okay, what is, where am I going or where would I go otherwise? Now, let me ask myself, what would it look like to be 50% more bold or 100% more bold um, to be able to accelerate either faster or to have either stronger goals? And, uh, and that boldness, I think, takes some courage because, you know, there's sort of a bit of a leap of faith that it's, that my, my business will still work in that new, in that new reality and that uh, citizens and Consumers are going to accept that new reality, um, but I do think sort of the—that's what I'd love to see. I'd love to see sort of in these next three years that kind of boldness and that courage in being able to push ourselves just a little further than we think we can get to, you know, in this collective work um, to be able to drive some of those transitions. Well, I'm I'm feeling very motivated now, and I uh, appreciate uh, your boldness and your work in the in the plastic space. So, uh, George, thank you very much for your time. I uh, really appreciate it, and um, looking forward to seeing how the next three to five years pan out. Great, thanks so much, Shane. This is great.